All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Daddy Long, that guy. And shout out to Red Light Crew. Hey, you're one of 12 listeners of the Real Life Podcast. Yeah, you know what? The, to define that uh, uh, better, um, I think the key there is... Uh, zero cat, zero cat, zero cat, zero cat. I just lost my trend of thought. Hello and welcome to episode 144 of Nation Real Life. I'm Tyler Yurumchuk. Jay's in here. Wanye's in here. No bagged milk, no traumas because we have a special guest and it's a Mary Brown's poppin'. Brought to you by Mary Browns and their bite-sized morsels of 100% breast meat, chicken-coated in Mary's seasoning and served hot, crispy, and so yummy. You can even choose Thai for a kick of sweet heat topped with sesame seeds. And our special guest is Mr. Shane Fennessy. He is an Edmonton-based filmmaker. He was a part, a big part of Making Coco, the big documentary. See how much cleaner I am that we restarted the recording and yeah. I got a chance to do this all again? I would listen to this podcast yeah. now. Before yeah. no. Yeah. My Red Bull just kicked in. Uh, Shane, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Real Life. Uh, thanks for giving us some time today. Hey, absolutely. My pleasure. Happy to be here, guys. Big fan of uh, everything you guys do. So it's, uh, you know, it's great to be a part of it. And we're amped up because we've been talking now for like an hour and a half. And I know like lots <laughs> of good stories are coming. I'm like, oh, wait till he talks about this. Jay, you're going to lose your shit. Yeah, I've been listening so far. It's been mm-hmm. good. So you're involved with Making Coco. That's right. Which was, a, for, I'm sure everybody listening knows, but it was a documentary about Grant Fuhr. And like, to my knowledge, that's like the first big documentary made about the Oilers or an Oilers player, maybe other than the King's Ransom. Yeah. I, Boys I, in the bus? Well, fair enough. Well, in the last 20 years, absolutely, 30 years. Um, for us, uh, Grant's book had come out a couple years ago. I don't know if you got a hold of that, but that was sort of the inception of like, okay, he's got a good enough story for us to do a 73-minute feature-length documentary film on this guy. 
And it's amazing. Like I, w- I was fortunate enough to get to go to Roger's place to watch it. Thank you for and, coming. Oh, I was glued. Yeah. And, and like the twists and turns and just the, I was uh, like a lot of Oilers fans now, maybe listening to the show, we were too little for the eighties Oilers, mm-hmm. right? I was like, it was all before my time. So to see glimpses of that era through a professional lens of a documentary, it was yeah. just fascinating. Well, you forget like how good those players were. You see the stats all the time, right? But how often do you get to see all that archival footage played? I think there's like a weird, almost resentment among Oilers fans of a certain age against the <laughs> 80s Oilers because I think it's a double prong thing. We missed out on the good times. Mm-hmm. So I'm rattled because I'm like, well, that's fucking great that they're doing all of that when I was four, right? You got 06, though. Oh, yeah, trust me. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still living so on Fernando one. Pisani's joy he gave us all. But also, I think there's people who are mad because. You know, your era or our era now is so different than the era of those days. But it's still super interesting to just sort of get past the veil of like, we're mad at the boys in the bus for fucking up the tens on the ice and see the story of them back in the 80s. It's such compelling content. Yeah, I I think the problem nowadays is stories don't have long enough to marinate, right? Like Connor McDavid's got like three books out on him already, right? Like how, how many stories have been told about these guys whose careers aren't even over? With a guy like Grant, there's nothing done on him. So you got 30 plus years of that story to like marinate in people's minds and five championships. And then you look back and go like, holy shit, he got a championship on average one every two years for the first 10 years of his career. Like people forget that. It's, it, I, <laughs> after watching the documentary, I, I was just like blown away. I'm like, fuck, that guy had a career. Oh, yeah. Like, outside of the success, like, obviously, like, being an Edmonton Oiler guy, but obviously too young for this, but still connected to it. Just the the second chapter and the third chapter of his career with the other teams and, like, some of the heroics that he pulled off. Oh, Just yeah. being retold those stories because, like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that, like, that, you know, that game or that highlight, but, like, the story behind it and building all of it up. I'm like, man, this guy was, like, truly an amazing player. Human. Yeah. yeah. Well, for him to do what he did at that point, like in his career and then have the resurgence in St. Louis, right? Like he was 34 years old when he broke the record for number of games played in the season by a goalie, total games and games started. That part of the documentary where you talk about that and then they talk about the injury. Like to me, that was something who like you talk about, you were four years old when the Oilers were winning all those cups to me, like that was even before my era. Right. So for me to look at that and just be like, holy shit, like him playing that many games in today's NHL, that's more than fucking unheard of and then with the injury and all the stuff that went into that that was really compelling was there a part of it that you walk when you walk away from the documentary you were like man that wasn't maybe the part i was expecting to like grab onto me the most but it ended up being like a thing you look back on as a highlight i think it's such a shock that grant was such a warrior because he's such a low-key guy right Mm -hmm. like the story about him playing golf the day before game seven right it's like Oh, yeah, you played 54 holes, holes of golf the day before game seven. Why'd you play 54 holes? And Gretz says, I heard him from the, from the stall next to him. He goes, oh, I didn't have time to play 72. Like, it, like, <laughs> like to a guy that easy going, but also that much of a competitor as soon as you get on the ice, like, it, it's such a, such a disconnect that you wouldn't expect. But, yeah, to, to, to perform at that level, especially in the goalie position, you need to kind of have that, like, ice in your veins, like, whatever, I'll play 113 holes of golf because 
I my I I, I can't give a fuck because I give such a fuck. Mm. If that makes any sense, totally sense. Yeah, yeah, cool. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Write that down. Yeah. I will. I'll put a timestamp down for that one. Um, just to give people more context of some of the stuff you've done, l- let's rattle it off. Let's allow you to brag a little bit. Um, what else? What are some other big things that you've you've worked on aside from making cocoa? Okay, the hit list. So started off with making cocoa, the Grant Fear story. Then we moved on to the Bailey experience about uh, Canada's golden hundred golden medal hundred meter sprinter Donovan Bailey. So that's on TSN, uh, and we're just wrapping up post production on. Bisbing, the Michael Bisbing story about UFC Hall of Fame mixed martial artist and also the league's first British champion, Michael Bisbing. And you've done some stuff that's not sports as well, too. That's correct. Um, What about doing sports stuff like really draws to you? Like, why are you passionate about that? And like, what's kind of maybe the difference when you work on something else compared to when you get a chance to do a making Coco or a Bisbing story? Working on something in sports is nice because it's everyone else's hobby, right? And for you to turn that into a business and be able to provide them with the content that they like to go to when they don't have bullshit in their life to deal with, their escape world, like that's really cool to be able to share that with the fans. Like I just worked on a short political documentary about foreign funding in the Canadian energy sector. And that's like, holy shit, the stakes are real in this. Like we're filming and people are getting mad at us for being on their on their uh, property because they think it's an anti-pipeline documentary. And it's not necessarily a pro-pipeline documentary, but he, was, he thought we were environmentalist hippies and he tried to get his gun and kick us off his land. And we're just like, no, 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 no. Like, this is what we're doing. Let me explain it again because I must have done a bad job. And he's like, oh, I thought you guys were on the other side of this. That was the first moment when I had a a realization, like, the stakes are real here. Like, you can't just, like, show the nostalgic footage of this player that everyone loved and have everyone clap at the end and stand up, right? So it's it's fun to have real stakes, but it's also fun – to, to dive into like the things that you love and, and are your escape. It's amazing when we were talking earlier. So you this energy documentary dropped a week ago, correct? Yeah. Uh, we did the Edmonton premiere October 5th and then three sold out shows in Calgary on the 7th and 8th. And online it's blowing up to the tune of? Uh, 700,000 views as of today. Wow. In a week of a full feature documentary. Amazing. Yeah. That's nuts. That's off the chains. So when you're, when you're thinking about projects that you want to work on and stuff like that, are you f- coming at it from the, idea of like i want to be a producer right yeah i want to do things in sport and things in business and and like how do you find new projects to work on yeah well firstly i want to be a producer because i'm not talented and everyone else on my team is talented so there's that oh it's like being the boss well you just gotta hire smart (laughs) people to work for us you speak very well you're very articulate so (laughs) let me pump your tires here for a bit i think you got the chops but so we want to hear a funny i I was trying to bait you that's what podcast term oh okay how'd you get into the movie biz (laughs) <laughs> so I got in the movie biz because I had worked in a couple other careers um, without a lot of ton of success, but uh, I quit one job and I was just bartending part-time trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. That's and the I, dream. And a good, yeah, fun employed as they say, yeah. right? And a good friend of mine, Michael Maxis, gives me a call one day and says, hey, why don't you get in the film industry? And I said, yeah, it sounds like fun, but like, what do I know about movie making? When you were bartending, did you work at The Pint? Never worked at the Pine. Oh, where were you bartending? At? Uh, I did El Cortez, obviously, El Cortez, yeah, uh, MKT, and then I've been local for about four years. That's uh, how you boys know each other. Oh, yeah, exactly. All right, of course. Of yeah. course. So yeah. Max is who's a friend of the show. Yes, who was a partner of El Cortez and then movie maker from Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Calls you up randomly yeah. with the magic yeah. pixie dust Just of Max. Start Max's. making films. Yeah, away he went. Jeez, isn't that great? I wish it was that easy. But, but is that easy? It can be. <laughs> Well, I guess that's kind of how the nation started. Assuming, well, nobody phoned us and said do that. We phoned each other and said we'll do that. Well, yeah, we said we should do something on the internet. Yeah. That's how it was all born. Yeah. The first 
year and a half of the nation was just Jay and I talking to each other under assumed names in our comment section. <laughs> yeah. And people would just what, like watch you guys. Oh, there were no people. There were no people. It was, no just, people. Us. It was just, just us. Just, yeah. just yeah. us, yeah. yeah. And then the first commenter ever that showed up was Bag Milk, who you met earlier. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first real human being we talked to. Really? Now he's our editor-in-chief. Fantastic. You just like, we're so desperate for people. You just come into the club. Let's for go. Sure. We're like, what, what, what do you do with you? You're yeah. welcome aboard. Yeah. Well, you want a job? Yeah. Give me a job. Oh, there was, <laughs> whatever it was years later. Keep him in the room. Yeah. It was years later until we offered him a job, but I can really respond or, or identify with the idea of like, it's fun to be in sports. Mm. It's fun to be in the business of sports. It's the job you have when you're little and you don't understand how the economy works. It's like, mm. what do you want to be? Space cowboy. Yeah. What do you want to be? I don't know. Work in hockey. Like what the fuck are you going to do? Invent a new kind of skate. You're not working in hockey, but for a select group of us that are very lucky, you can't and your your hobby becomes your business or your passion becomes your your, your job yeah exactly and t- i think you're asking me earlier like how do these projects come together like how, how do you get to them right like obviously there's a ton of stories i would love to tell but they n- might not necessarily be ready at this point or the person might not be accessible so stories you like to tell in terms of like a film you'd like yeah to exactly see. yeah so when i say like a story i'd like to tell like we our three sport documentaries have all been based off an individual and that's been great i'd love to tackle like a topic in sports maybe like charting the the uh player's performance slash motivation when it comes to increasing contracts right like how 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 does a player's performance actually dip when he's got money in the bank and when he doesn't have to worry about going hungry anymore right that to me is super interesting i've never met an athlete that thinks about money rationally or Mm -hmm. even really values it would you feel the same way like they're always really weird relationships with money because they're so young getting so much yeah you know to be honest like most of the athletes i know are sort of like the older generation and those guys are a little bitter that they didn't get paid like the new guys (laughs) did like remember being on a boat with a couple of the old Oilers guys and they were just like fuck like I was a fourth liner and if I were playing now I'd be making millions yeah. you know like and, and back then it, it was serviceable like it was livable but it wasn't extravagant by any means the 80s Oilers I think are like a hilarious just the the snippets of stories that you get it's a different time big money hadn't moved into the sport yet right mm-hmm. so and, and there was pre-social media and pre-smartphones and you know like that there was advantages to playing in those days and making $200,000 yeah. that somebody making $4 million would be like I wish I could play in an era where I could smoke during intermission and do other awesome things like that right the one thing i remember speaking of old oilers and being rich or not being paid a lot versus now but still i think they did pretty good relatively speaking i remember mark missy used to roll in a bentley back in the day back in the day i I have very few like memories of oilers but at at the golf course missy rolled in a bentley and that's how i first ever found out about a bentley fuck that's gangster do you care more about the bentley or mark Obviously, Mark. Oh, there's <laughs> a photo. Of, there's a photo of young Jay with the Stanley Cup, where you've yeah. never seen a happier child in your but life. But my my dad's like, that's a Bentley. So then that's just like one of those things that kind of sticks. Noted to your in brain. my law. Yeah, no, now yeah. I know what a Bentley is, and now Mark Messier is always and forever associated with Bentleys in my life. One of the other awesome stories that you told me we were just chilling upstairs before this was the story of seeing people on Instagram playing hockey near the Great Wall of China. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Because that was an illustrative story for me of like, I would see a photo of somebody on Instagram playing hockey next to the Great Wall of China and be like, hmm, like, and move on with my yeah. day. But you were like, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And then it took you down a weird road. Well, yeah, it was like six months into filmmaking and I hadn't even made a film yet. And I was just like, okay, what's my project going to be? Because I'm working with all these other people and I'm like, I want to I want to have ownership on something and I want to do something bold and ambitious that's never been done before. So it was like January 2017. I was just scrolling through Instagram and saw a picture of pond hockey right next to the Great Wall of China. So I found the photographer of that photo 
and then I found who I, who was in that photo. I discovered that this there was this awesome like community of expats in China, like between Shanghai and Beijing, all who had like these beer league hockey teams and guys who would like move there for six months to a year to teach English and just fall in love with the country, stay there and be like, I miss hockey, so let's like find some other guys like me and drink beer and play hockey on the weekends. So a year later, after I put together sort of like a proposal to an investor and put the team together, I traveled there for two weeks and went to Shanghai, Beijing, and Harbin, Edmonton's sister city. Sister city. I'd like to point Sorry. out too, Harbin, as as uh, leading up to the trip there, I was told, oh, it's some small sort of rural backwoods town in China. Yeah. Ten million people in Harbin. But that's that's but that's the way it is. That's in China. a hick town to them. Yeah, that's their uh, <laughs> their Rimby, if you will. Yeah. Shout out to Rimby. Good pull, Rimby. Nice. Thank you. That's nice. Rimby's like, thank you, thank you, James. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, my auntie Edna is listening. Well, maybe we have a listener in uh, in Rimby. We don't have any listeners, your Amtrak. You know that. <laughs> what weird shit well, down. that's a great time to pull that up because now we're going to hear from uh, our good friends at Japa who pay to be on our podcast because of our listeners. We totally have listeners. <laughs> have you got holes to dig, earth to pack, and roads to build? Then you need to call Japa Machinery Group. Does your equipment need a service? Yeah, can't fix stupid, but here at Japa Machinery Group, we can fix everything else with a full range of parts to keep your equipment running smoothly. Japa Machinery Group is a family operated and Alberta grown business. Here to help build a bigger and better Western Canada. Give us a call or visit us at JapaMachinery.com. Japa Machinery Group. Join the family. If you have been on the fence about doing something with our good friends at Japa or purchasing or have been waiting to expand your fleet, now is the time to do it because it is the end of season sales deal right now on all their rental packers. You can find out more information at their website, but they got a ton of stuff going on right now. Um, a ton of additional options as well. So if you want to buy or, or get going now, you don't need to pay until the end of the season. Great flexible options at their end of season sales. So don't forget to check out our friends at Japa. When you say Packers, they own the Green Bay Packers? I'm talking about things like the CV83S, which uh, That's not starts at $70,000. So Aaron Rodgers isn't on sale. Guys. Actually, speaking of uh, Japa, I saw one of their fine pieces of equipment, the XCMG, on Calgary Trail and about just before the white mud, doing some good work, looking in great shape. Shout out to Japa. And that probably had their 90-day powertrain warranty. That's so. why it was operating good job, so you're good. Check. You're See how good I'm, yeah, you throwing are those good, in here. Good on you. It's because I love Japa. 20% discount on all the wear parts as well. So, um, But yeah, we're rolling along. Episode 144 of Nation Relive. We have a Mary Browns poppin'. Do not forget that on Mondays... It is Big Mary's Mondays, which is their hero chicken sandwich, a whole Canada grade A chicken breast cooked golden brown and served on a sesame seed bun with cool mayo and crisp lettuce, $3.99 plus tax. Also on their website, there's a coupon you can print off that allows you to get two chicken wraps for like four bucks. And I will admit I've done that three or four times in the last two weeks. Well, I haven't had lunch today and I was coming in hot to the podcast, so I'm already fighting starvation. So you're killing me here with all this descriptive. With my great ad yes, reads. Yes, They're fantastic. But our guest today is uh, Shane Fennessy. He's an Edmonton filmmaker. He's done some great stuff. I think a lot of the listeners on our podcast would know him from the making cocoa side of things, but there's been a ton of other stuff. And uh, I mean, if you, everyone was fired up about this, but you have been giddy with excitement. About yet. what? 
this conversation. Oh, yeah. No, this is great. <laughs> this is very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm like, I was pitching earlier, you know, like if you come to me and you're like, I know how to make the, the TV talk and I can make movies about anything. I have a lot of ideas about very exciting things and mm -hmm. we'll see how it goes. But just before the break, we we're talking about how you'd, you'd headed over to China to shoot some content about the Chinese hockey program. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like once I found that photo, I started digging into like the story of hockey in You should China. be a detective. Like all, all the stuff you did to like get yeah, everyone A filmmaker in the is a detective. Like, Jesus exactly. God, this guy is Jason Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that I didn't get kidnapped there is probably a huge, uh, huge plus. Man, because I don't, of your spy training. Because of my spy training, because of uh, some very top-level connections Excellent. within the Ooh, Chinese geez. government. Um, no, we, uh, <laughs> you made me lose my train of thought now. Yeah, come Sorry. On. Jason oh, no. Barn, when you started thinking about uh, Matt Damon. I'm just here to pump tires, man. So, so I'm going to give the spoiler, spoiler alert on the Hockey in China documentary. It's still yet to be made. But um, we found out that hockey's been played there for over 100 years. This cool sort of enigmatic history of Russians coming down into the northern part of China and seeing them play field hockey and go, hey, that's cool. But have you tried it on ice? Strapping on the skates, banging that puck around. And uh, from there, yeah, it sort of it, it grew for a little bit in China. And actually in the 1950s and 60s, um, there was there was, I think, 40,000 hockey players in China. Um, and then after the Cultural Revolution, it sort of shrunk, and 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 China got more interested in developing economically and all those things. A hundred years, so a hundred years of so they, they they must have established their like. Did you see like a style of hockey that they play like like that, that's different than us? Like is tiger it, style, hamster style, hamster style. <laughs> yes, they promised uh, in year five they would never never play hamster style again, but. Yeah, like, do they have their own, like, flair or anything towards hockey or interpretation of it? So it depends what level you're looking at, right? Like, if you're looking at kids' hockey, what you have is a lot of um, North American coaches or European coaches going over there. And because they've got so much money, they pay these coaches to go, do one-on-one -on -one skills-based training with the players. So all these kids have unreal shots and dangles, and they're, you know, they're, they've got good one-timers, but they're not... They're not playing any team systems. They're not passing the puck, utilizing their teammates. Um, and then, of course, when you're talking about the pro league, you've got guys coming in from all the other leagues around the world. So, yeah, they've got some Chinese players, but chances are those are like repatriated guys like, uh, like Zach Yoon or Brandon Yip, Corey Kane. Like those are three guys who played in North America and now are, are Chinese nationals. They've got to grow the team somehow. So they're uh, just trained as individual weapons. Exactly. Assassins on the air. There was a guy who played at the University of Alberta for the last three years. His name's Jason Fram, and he went and is playing for the KHL team in China now with like the sole intention of being eligible for the Olympics in Beijing. Oh, very cool. So he's mm -hmm. going, uh, yeah, he's like Nigel Dawes. Yeah, 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 yeah pretty excellent, much. Excellent, excellent. So for the, for the film buffs, and especially like old school documentary buffs, there's a film called Thunderbirds in China, where the 1974 UBC Thunderbird team went to China and played an eight-game uh, friendly series against the Chinese national team. This was the first time in most of China that these guys went that they had seen a single white person. They went to Harbin, they went to Beijing, they went to Shanghai, and the Chinese government organized 18,000 people to come watch their practice. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's online on the National Film Board of Canada's website. Just type in Thunderbirds in China and you can watch an hour-long doc. And these guys are like, these guys are like hosers. They're straight out of Slapshot. The long hair and the glasses and, and the documentary crews like on the bench with them and in the dressing room. Like it's, it's, it, it could be a real movie. Like it could be a dramatic movie, but it's all a fact. That's so sick. The other documentary you dropped, like being from the film world, knows every documentary in the world. Western Swagger? Is that what you said it was? Yeah, Western Swagger is about, um, about the CFL uh, sort of 
like lineage back in the seventies and eighties with the Eskimos. And but like being from Edmonton and having swag. Yeah, exactly. It's like the teams that were winning here gave us our, our swagger essentially. Like, like before that, like why were you proud to be from Edmonton? Like, what did you have really? Right. Edmonton's always had the reason it's called the city of champions is because we have a really good philanthropic, uh, spirit here. in Edmonton. wasn't because everybody drove into evergreen trailer park after the tornado in 87 and helped out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. people in Edmonton, it's always been about the community and people have always been willing to help out. We met at the pint on Saturday post game, <laughs> about 57 shots in for your boy here. And I'm wearing this or the other hat, the city of champions hat. And he's like, I have a podcast called city of champions. I'm like, my hat says city of champions. She's like, yeah, I know. I it can. was Saturday at 1am. Yeah, like, Look at my hat. <laughs> right. Well, and that's why like the, you know, it's more than just a road sign into Edmonton. It's like a state of mind. It's, it's a way of life. It's a way yeah. of life. And that's, that's why, you know, for our generation, it's important that we keep that story going because it's, Edmontonians are good people and we do great things. So that's what it's about. That's what you're celebrating when you do that. So like guys like yourself and us, like we just want to keep that, uh, keep, keep it going, keep the narrative going. Mm -hmm. I think pride is like a really important thing, mm -hmm. right? And if you live in a society where all you hear a lot of times is just people talking negatively, right? And people like negativity sells, yeah. you have to have a counterforce of positivity saying like it's awesome to be to be from edmonton i feel like in the last five years and when did you move back to town so i moved here first time in 2011 and then i moved back in 2014 did you see a difference in the city between 2011 and 2014 or was it still too close together i think in the first time i was here i didn't really see the city like i was pretty insulated i was working for the world juniors i was kind of there every day and had so much going on uh when i came back i was you know working in a company i was bartending like i was really like i got more out into the community and so since then i've sort of felt like wow Edmonton's got all this um to offer mm -hmm. in terms of a network and in terms of people wanting to help people and I really think like I I don't know I haven't seen that anywhere else in the world and I've been to a lot of places we we don't realize how good we have it like we bring the new thing we do is we bring like people from Europe to Edmonton for their first NHL experience or because they're Oilers fans and just the reactions that they have to how well the city puts on for them is like they're just blown away mm -hmm. and it's just like it just goes back to like who edmonton is i for my money like edmonton's one of the best places in the world right we're lucky we mildly successful on the success spectrum we could live wherever we want i like it here it's very safe it's not corrupt mm -hmm. the police are on your team which is something we take very much for granted that like when you get stopped by the police are they on your side or aren't you remember a couple of years back we had a canada day party and i had some friends from mexico who were up and do some work down there mm -hmm. and uh the police drove up to our block party and i went and talked to the guy i'm wearing a mcdavid jersey i'm in a similar state as when we met on saturday and the police officer gave me a pack of stickers yeah I came back over. My friend from Mexico was like, what, what just happened? Did you have to pay that officer to leave? I'm like, pay the officer. He gave me a pack of stickers. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe that like you're that friendly with police officers yeah. here that they'll just kick it with you. Oh, yeah. That isn't the case everywhere around the world. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think people, it's natural if you're in your, if you're younger to feel like your hometown's holding you back. Mm -hmm. Right. I've met people from all over the world who were like, I just had to get out of Manhattan. It was too small. Like, what? Yeah. Too small. Uh -huh. But if you return, if you're fortunate enough to return later on and feel like a connection with a place that's very rare mm -hmm. right like you can talk about your expats over in china right like people who move to a foreign country you got to give them a lot of credit because they completely have to rebuild their lives and a lot of them never ever feel anchored anywhere else again because they're like oh and i live in shanghai and during canadian thanksgiving we didn't really have anything and stuff like mm -hmm. that and you kind of lose that right? yeah 
Well, the simple like practicality of not having like aunts and uncles or grandparents or parents to look after your newborn kids, right? Like it's, it's really isolating to try and do that. And, you know, I think a big factor of Edmonton's sort of community mentality is also these cold ass winters you guys have here and we have here. Like, yeah. you know, my, no, 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 we have here. I know. Now, it's, now I'm a we finally. I, funny enough, I was actually born in Edmonton, though I grew up in Vancouver. So I can always say we, but it's, it's certainly something about that hardship that really makes you appreciate the good times, right? Like you talk to people in LA or, or like farther South Texas, like they don't have seasons yeah. there. Yeah. They're like, I, I like life just kind of is one big long drag, right? There's nothing to look forward to us. Like, yeah, the, the weather starts to suck, but we get hockey. Like here we go. That's yeah. awesome. Well, but the thing we, and this is the thing we need to learn, uh, is as Canadians, as Northerners is actually how to celebrate the one season that we don't like it, it, it. Like, like they do in Scandinavia. And we've talked about this a few times, like how they embrace the cold and how they build a lifestyle around it. And that way, every season you got your thing that you love. Mm. Like I'm super pumped. I'm going skiing this weekend. For opening at Nakiska in October. That's dope. That's fucking dope. Can't I'm, do that in San Diego. Can't do that in San nope. Diego. I'm fucking shocked. Take your son. I'm just excited I'm doing it. The nostalgia around that's a renewal. It's interesting your point about seasons, right? Mm-hmm. I, speaking of San Diego, I was there for a little while a couple years back. I think I was maybe there for two and a half weeks. Every day was exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful, yeah. but it was like almost like a virtual reality world where the world's just stuck to summer. Truman Show kind of. Sunrises environment. Everyone was really nice to me out there. Um, just like in terms of what you said about um, celebrating the fact that you're Winter City, have you guys ever seen pictures of Harbin's Ice Festival? It's the biggest ice festival in the world. Okay, so you know our like Edmonton Ice Castle that they build every year? Yeah. Mm. This puts that to shame. Like that is... That's like a like a, a kid's ride, and then you go to, like, Universal Studios and get on the real rides. Like, they have, no joke, several football fields worth of ice sculptures, like, that are five and six stories big. Like, they've got palaces and wow. temples, and, and like, like uh, I think they had the Statue of Liberty there one year. It um, made entirely out of, wow. Can we put blocks. that up when we're doing yeah, some yeah, socials? Yeah. That's rad. I'll put yeah. it up. Wow. So, and also, by the way, when we were there, minus 35 degrees and 80% humidity. Oh, cold. They got it worse oh, than here. That's bad. See, when I think of China, I don't think of like a northern climate. Nope. I, no, I People think People think smoggy Shanghai yeah. Right? Yeah. or like old school Beijing. So they're up there. What is that weather like? Like humidity plus cold equals frown face for me. You know, it's amazing. They're out there enjoying it. Like we walk down, it's called um, pedestrian street. Also like where you see all the Russian influence, you see like Russian style that like look like uh, what's the building in the Kremlin, like a church that looked like the Kremlin and half the street signs are in Russian there. That blew me away. Jay saying that half the street signs in Harbin are in Russian. Yeah. It's this very weird intermingling of cultures, but people are walking down. They sold ice cream. We had Russian ice cream at minus 35 degrees the great thing about it is it doesn't melt yeah you can eat it at your own pace Mm -hmm. you don't have to rush through it uh they're skating out on the river they have this massive river that freezes over it's they like it they get out there and do shit i think if we had more if we had more infrastructure that was conducive to that where you could like pop in stores and go to coffee shops like get out of the cold for five minutes or ten minutes while still like walking about i think we would do that too but other than White Ave, like there's not many places in town. Outdoor patios were actually illegal in restaurants and bars until a few years ago. Really? Yeah. yeah. In Edmonton. Yep. In Edmonton. Why is yeah. that? Bye. To keep us from freezing to death? I have no idea. They just reversed it. Yeah. So Little Brick, where we're recording from today, we have a year-round patio. There's some weird ar- archaic restrictions in all types of permits and codes and liquor laws that yeah. need to be kind of like 
updated to like 2019 standards so we can like at least try to copy yeah. a lot of the stuff we can't do that they do in europe that we think is so cool because they're doing it outside right. and whatnot but like we got to kind of like cut through that crap which takes time because it moves at a snail's pace because yeah, it's all we're political so minded right like i think part of it too is like we're not exposed to people in northern climates living differently so the first thing you want to do if you're from edmonton when mm-hmm. you go on vacation is go somewhere Hot. hot you're like i'm getting the fuck out of yeah. here i need to sit in a beach in an all-inclusive yeah. where for fifteen hundred dollars i live like a warlord for a week <laughs> i'll return very hungover and be done with it yeah. and we started traveling we went to europe we went to iceland and people were like why did you go to iceland in november we were yeah. like why would we go to iceland in november because it was cheap yeah you see though during the winter in other countries that people do get on with it mm-hmm. and they have a good yeah, time absolutely well, but we're learning. We're getting there. So we're going through that renaissance. I think so. I think Edmonton in the last few years has changed a lot. And like, mm-hmm. I remember back in the day, I'd drive with my grandma and she'd be like, do you remember when that used to be a grocery store? <laughs> and I'm like, no, grandma, I don't remember when that used <laughs> yes, to be a grocery store. But I'm doing that now. I find yeah. when I'm driving around. Like the other day, I was I, I saw a tower being built downtown that I didn't realize was being built downtown. And like that would never ordinarily happen because yes. I'm downtown all the time. I'm paying attention to what's going on. But I think there honestly is like seven or eight towers. Like going you're going to blink and I mean, the whole like cityscape is just going to look completely different. And it already is. But like it's 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 happening that fast. It's kind of sneaky, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see all the changes that's going on. I also just got to you got to see this. I, well, actually, no, I'm not going to tell you what I got because it might be a gift. Never mind. All right. Wow. Moving on from That's that. All, that is um, unbelievable so podcast I material. Think, I, think, I think we established we love Edmonton. I kind of want to go back to making cocoa yeah. uh, because you would have had to have interviewed some pretty fucking cool people in the making of this, Out, you know, including Grant Fuhr. What kind of like crazy stories can you uh, tell us? What can you tell us? What, yeah, that, that you can tell yes. us uh, that kind of happened from like from behind the scenes about, you know, some of these people you got to meet. Well, it's uh, it's funny because like, uh, you know, it's hard to tell who's going to be a good interview, who's not like they're all pros. They're all ex players. Right. Um, and we had uh, we had our highest percentage of an interview used. So usually we'll interview someone between like 45 and an hour and a half, just depending on who they are and, and what the director wants to use from them. But when we had Wayne out, number 99, his, uh, his PR person or his manager said that, uh, okay, you've got 19 minutes with Wayne. We're like, 19. That's that's more that's than an, enough. That's an odd number of minutes, but yeah. okay, we'll take the 19. So anyway, he was supposed to show up at uh, 10 a.m., so we always get there two hours early to set up because we, we get the cameras and the lights and, and we finick and, until the director and the cinematographer are happy. Um, so it's 9 a.m., and Mr. Gretzky rolls in an hour early. Well, thankfully, we have an unbelievable crew. Did he think it was an hour later or was it just nope, a... No, nope, just the world runs on Gretzky's time. Wow. Sure when, does. When you're Wayne, the world the world molds and, and warps yeah. itself around yeah. you. Well mm-hmm. deserved. Um, so our director wasn't even there. He was just getting out of bed, right? Like, he's like, I'm on my way. Like, like can you delay? And we're like, we can't fucking delay. We've got 19 minutes and he's here right now. Like, let's go. So our producer, Adam Scorgi, hopped on. And he's like, make sure you get a picture of me interviewing Wayne. I'm like, way ahead of you, bud. I got gotcha. <laughs> Right? But I had the wherewithal to lock his uh, team out of the room. So we kept him for about 28 minutes, 10 minutes more Smart. than we should, nine minutes more than we should have. And um, I think we used probably like seven or eight minutes of Wayne, which is crazy for like a 28-minute interview. Right? So, I mean, just, you know, there's a ton of cool stories like that. So does he roll in with a crew? Depends where he is. He's got a security guard with him most times. Oh, wow. I think it's got to be hard to be Wayne Gretzky in 2019. Terrible. Awful. 
Very Everywhere high. you go, like you're basically prime minister status. You go to a, I remember he was going to watch his son play minor league ball in Quebec. Yeah. There he was signing fucking balls and signing jerseys and stuff like everywhere he goes. Do you think he's given, I always ask, think, think about this. Has he signed his name more than any other person ever? I don't think any person ever. ever? No. Who would have signed more autographs than Wayne Gretzky? It was probably, well, probably a soccer player. Yeah. Or some, something with like, like Pele. Pele, yeah. Is the autograph thing big in Europe too? Like, is that I don't part know. of the culture? Because sometimes <sighs> things that we think are like worldwide yeah. are really just like weird Canadian things. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, like poutine. Yeah. Should be worldwide. It should be. It's mind blowing that it's not. I remember reading in his book that he doesn't cross the T in his name, and he's estimated over the course of his life it saved him like hundreds of gallons of ink because he doesn't cross the T in Gretzky and shit. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. He must have nightmares of just like a reoccurring nightmare of just writing, doing autographs. One time, I remember the king of I think it was the King George came to Canada on a tour, and he shook so many hands that he got like crippling carpal tunnel (laughs) and had to go around shaking hands left handed. So I guess pound it out, pound it out, man. 1950 and they hadn't invented the pound yeah, yet. Yeah, my king <laughs> pounds it. Yeah, no, no. Or just a hat tip, maybe? I don't maybe. know. Yeah. There's other a options. Bow? Well, those days line up. Chest bump, yeah. But with Gretz, like everything is planned, right? Like his schedule is like, like it's all like lined out and he works by the minute. Like when you're a guy like that. And I made a mistake. So a couple weeks ago, when we were playing the Kings, I was sitting in the skybox at Roger's place and I was with my girlfriend, her brother, and my mom was in town for over barrels premiere. And so we were in the intermission, standing and grabbing some food. And then uh, Steph's brother goes, I think Wayne just walked up to the set, like the next level up. I'm like, no, he doesn't watch the game from up there. He doesn't come up here. He He's a gold skybox. Yeah, yeah. He watched from Daryl's uh, sweep. And um, so five minutes later, lo and behold, I see him walking down. And, and so I wave to him and he kind of waves back. And I'm like, oh, I should go say hi. So I walk over. This is just very, very impressive to me. At yeah, this point in the like, story. How like, do you no, do no, no, such uh, a thing? Uh, this uh, is terrible. I went over. I was like, hey, Wayne. He's like, hey, Shane, how's it going? Like, congrats on making it. Uh, hey, right? Shane, how's it going? Wow. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. not even a flex. That's just <laughs> fucking unreal. Okay. But he had a security guard there who I know just from being around the team and having like worked on making Coco. So he's a great guy. Um, and anyway, it spoke to Wayne for like 10 seconds. And within that 10 seconds, it was like zombies towards the like one last living person on the face of the earth. Just people, there's Gretzky, right? Like and everyone was up and like the security guard was like, oh, we got to go. And he's like, oh, sorry, I got to run. I'm like, yep, see ya, bye, get out of here. Wow. So like that's yeah. what it's like to be Wayne Gretzky. If you like get pulled off your itinerary for 10 seconds, like that could fuck up your day. People underestimate, I think, especially in 2019 with every camera being a smartphone and shit, how annoying it must be. Because like, I've never interacted with Wayne Gretzky. I don't imagine I ever would. The closest we ever got was we were at Rogers during the playoffs. Yep. And Wayne was walking through and there was like a phalanx of people around and he had, him. And Semenko was walking behind him. I oh, think damn Semen- it. You got to the end of the story in the beginning. <laughs> Oh, well, here's how I was going what? to tell yeah. the story. Oh. So Jay's got his, Jay's like, he's, he's in front of me and he looks back and he just like goes white as a ghost. Cause like normal people like us don't go high Wayne and get a high back, but he's like, <laughs> Gretzky's there. And I turn and look and I locked eyes with Semenko yeah. accidentally yeah. and all the color drained out of my face. Cause he's still in bodyguard mode. Like, oh, yeah. don't you fucking look at Wayne. Yeah, he was in security detail. He was in sure. security yeah. detail. Always, always had his back. That's why I was like, oh. It's amazing how all those guys like are still so tight and they still yeah. like being friends with Gretzky now at this day and age has got to be crazy because like he's been living in this fishbowl since he was 1978. Yeah. And I, it's worse now than I think it was like 10 years ago. Cause that phase between now and like when he stopped coaching in Arizona, he kind of like went dark for a bit. Right. Yeah. Till the Oilers brought him back as a VP. 
Um, but yeah, I, don't, I can't imagine. I hope I never have to deal with that. I think he had been sick. Like that, that, that coaching gig thing was like, he, he probably didn't want to do it. Cause there's, there's some circumstances behind the scenes there with like, did that ownership stuff that like, he was probably just like pissed at the game at that point. How hard is it to coach if you're the best player that's ever lived? Right. Like, yeah. like, Oh, you didn't see that guy that you could have passed behind your back through three guys. Like, how did you not see him? Why didn't you make that pass? What well, would you do? Well, I would have gone out and gotten 215 points. That's what I would have done. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you who could do that. Leon Dreisaitl. That pass in OT was unbelievable pass. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out but there. But he also, room. me being Mr. Negative, why didn't he shoot the puck on one of those two-on-ones? Mm. Yeah, he had the lane, man. He could have snapped it home. I know. He's got one of the best fucking snapshots in the league. And that he's one, always yeah. Yeah. you've got the best corner. player that you're about to pass. I know. Oh, it's maybe like that. a hierarchy there. Yeah. But yeah, like it's normally, normally dry settles the trigger man. Mm-hmm. So there's like backwards world there. I wonder what it's like for a guy like Connor McDavid to look at a guy like Gretzky and be in his proximity a little mm-hmm. bit more. And is is that like a warning of what the future can be where you're like, how old is Gretz now? Like 57, 56, somewhere in there? Yeah, almost 60 probably. And like yeah. so fucking yeah. famous. He can't even walk down the street. Like, is that yeah. what Connor's future is going to look like? Tough to say, right? But it's got really to be mildly alarming. Yeah, what are your thoughts on Connor? Well, like, uh, firstly, Connor's great, right? Obviously, as a player, as a person, he seems to have everything. Does he know you on a first-name basis as No, well? he doesn't know he me. Hasn't, he yet. hasn't gotten to that level yet, has he? No, yeah, He doesn't no. deserve okay. it. Okay. He's okay. not Wayne. I, I have served him one time at the bar. Uh, he came in after he got injured last year, after the season, and... Uh, it's amazing. Like he just goes out and does things in the city. Like, I think that's really cool that he yeah. can do that and he doesn't get harassed. Right. Like I was kind of shocked. Like you think like, you know, you get harassed everywhere you went, but people in this town are respectful of that. When, uh, when I worked at Jersey city, the year he broke his collarbone, the rookie season, um, he came in, I would say three or four times over a month span, just holding to hand. buy Connor jerseys. No, he came oh, in. Uh, he once, probably gets a deal at work. <laughs> once he looked he at looked at hats. Once he looked at Blue Jays stuff. The other time he just kind of came in and they browsed and they left. Um, but I remember I walked up to him. I was like, "Hey man, like, can I help you with something?" He's like, "No, just browsing." And there was like other people in the store who were just like going about their business, looking at oiler shit. And Connor McDavid's in here, but quietly looking. I'd yeah. Be like, oh shit. Connor's Where here. are the, the hidden cameras? Right. Like. <laughs> right. And then he leaves, and I was like. Did you? Did no one else just see that Connor McDavid was in here and like one of the customers was like, "No, he wasn't." Shut up! And I was like, "How did no one see this?" But you're right; he almost does have like an ability yeah. to just kind of float around nice and quietly. Well, and if you're not used to seeing guys like that yeah. too, I remember one time I was looking for a dress shirt, and the, the, I'm like at the wall of dress shirts downtown, the dress shirt depot, and I'm like, "Huh, these all look the same." And the guy beside me goes, "Which one should I get?" And I look over, and you know when you have a, you think you're talking to one person, but it's not the person you think you're talking to. Yeah. That's what that guy had with me. Oh yeah. So I'm looking, what kind of shirt should I get? And I look over, and it's the Nuge, and he just signed his deal, and I'm like, I don't know, Nuge, buy all of them. You just got signed, and he was like, Well, this is like, you could tell he was like, I don't want to talk to this guy (laughs) see you later buddy (laughs) yeah get one of each how about that it's amazing though like the impact that money has had on the game right Mm -hmm. like you think about how the northlands coliseum cost 45 million dollars to build Mm -hmm. and the scoreboard in rogers place cost 50 million dollars right and just you know when you sign when, when there's so much downside risk now for players being on social media you know i think it's a lot harder for them to open up mm-hmm. it's a lot harder for them to move in normal society than yeah. it was 25 years ago what's well, you know everyone's got to be so risk averse because there's so much money on the line and every second of content costs so much money right like so they, they don't they don't ever take chances because like what if it doesn't work out then all of a sudden you've wasted a 
$15 million spot on TV, right? Like, like back to Grant for a second. Like, when he got the suspension from the cocaine use, I don't know if you guys remember this, but he went on a talk show that had call-ins right when he came back and took calls live on air from fans about using cocaine and his suspension. Like, there's no way a player would do that nowadays. Yeah. Be there's like, no way an agent would let yeah, this player exactly, fucking do right? that. It blew Maybe Pulley Arby's. <laughs> yeah. Leto is probably like pushing for that. Yeah, it blew my mind in the documentary that he had that like drug use or whatever you want to call it, but he played seventy three games a year or something like that. No, he played seventy three uh, in St. Louis. Oh, four years. The later. year that he had the pr- the problem, how many games had he played that year? I can't remember. It was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot, and they didn't have Ranford at that time. Who was their backup? Yeah, because Ranford came later, right? Okay, yeah. So, but anyway, the the fucked up thing about that was like he had he had been to rehab and been clean a year when the NHL found out and suspended him, and they originally wanted to do a lifetime ban, and then Craig McTavish no drug policy, no drug policy, no proof, no like, Do you guys have any proof? Like, yeah, well, he came out and said he did it. It's like, okay, so I guess we're accepting people at their you know at face value then. I would and never fly today. Flash no, forward no. today, well, that would never fly today. Kuznetsov, man. Yeah. That dude had a video of him with cocaine on the table, tested positive for it, three games. Right? Seriously? Like, Is that yeah, what happened that was that? Because I remember the picture, and he denied yeah. using it, right? Denied using it, but he then the IIHF yeah. nabbed him on a positive test from the World Championships, <laughs> and they, the IIHF has suspended him for four years, yeah. and the NHL gave him three games. Yeah. That's unreal. Classic. Go Team Canada. Oh, yeah. There's so <laughs> much money's involved, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Well, who was it? Remember um, Backstrom in uh, Sochi, Sochi when he yeah. got suspended for the gold medal game because he took like too strong of an Advil or some shit. Like, no, it was like uh, an like uh, allergy medication. Oh or an yeah, 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 or something. Yeah, right? and, and he got suspended for the gold medal game, and he's like your best center. What's that sport documentary though, where the guys talking about the Russian doping program? Icarus. Icarus. When they're talking about how there's like the underground corridor between their office and the KGB (laughs) and they gave them the tamper proof thing for pee and they're like, you'll never get this open. The KGB guy walked back in five minutes later, bang, it's open. (laughs) Fuck. What about like, well, think about now. Isn't like every Russian athlete basically suspended forever? Like what? The OAR. The the Olympic athletes of Russia. Yeah, the Olympic athletes of Russia. (laughs) That was just, that's just for one Olympics. No, I think it's. I think they got to keep doing that. I, I would have to look it up, but. I, don't, I want to know when I, I don't know when exactly that suspension runs out. Oh, I thought it was just for that Olympics. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was just that Olympics too. Maybe. I, thought, uh, I don't know. Um, when you watch something like Icarus or whatever, um, like like a documentary that's in your field, do you no longer have the ability? Like I'm the same way. When I listen to a sports podcast or sports radio, I'm always like, "That sucks." They shouldn't have done. Ooh, that's good. I wish I would have thought of that. Yeah. Are you like that too? Or are you just like always kind of glued in? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like and. So, so an example of like, a, it's not really a sports doc, but it's about an athlete, like Ronnie Coleman's documentary. Have you guys watched that? Ronnie Coleman, like... Is it the weightlifter? Yeah, like eight-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah. Like, the lightweight, yeah, baby, you know, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, like his doc, like, uh, terrible production value. Like, like in some of the interviews, you see, like, the crew in the reflection of the window, right? But super compelling story and a really great character. Like, he's an awesome guy. So it was a good doc to watch. But I'm like, man, like, if we had their budget, like, we could have done so much better with this, right? But then there's... Holy crap. Someone's doing woodpecker cons- in here? Yeah. Someone's doing construction in our studio right now. Is that Ironically, the na- nation pet? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the permanent renovation of the podcast. Studio. Boys, I bought a jackhammer. You want to hear it? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it live. It's the new button on the roadcaster. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the, the pro. Yeah, the Roadcaster Pro, the oh, pecking. So, so you paid for the pro, Jay. Come on. Yeah. That that has to be frustrating though, right? To like watch something like that and be like, man, it's so good. But fuck if I could have yeah. gotten a crack at that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like the one that would kill me if someone did it before us is Gretz. Like if someone got his doc before us and like believe me, I would love to do his. That would kill me. Unless it, they did a great job. Is there anything that you've ever heard? Like, if there was one documentary I'd want to see, it'd be a Wayne Gretzky documentary. Yeah. It'd be seven days long, and there'd be, like, breaks to pee. <laughs> Have you heard anything about anything other than King's Ransom being... No, it's Gretzky 2000. What's that? You know, remember Gretzky 2000? No. I, I haven't watched it, but I know it exists. <laughs> a it's documentary. a documentary done by... Yeah, done on him. And I don't think it was, like, as comprehensive as Making Coco, but, like... Mm. It, <laughs> It's so 2000s. Like, you see the interviews from it, and he's, like, in some, like, beige room with, like, a beige suit and, like, a white undershirt. Like, it's it's very dated, but that's, like, the only thing on Wayne at this huh. point, right? What's your, what's your favorite? So, obviously, everything you've done is amazing, and it's your favorite, but what's your favorite uh, sports documentary that you haven't been involved with? Favorite sports doc? You know what? I really, really liked both the Carter Effect and uh, the AI Allen Iverson documentary. Carter Effect was sick. Yeah, and I'm not even a basketball guy. Like I, I have zero interest as ba- in basketball as a sport unless the Raptors are about to win it. Um, <laughs> then I'm so hardcore. Yeah. Well, then I make money bartending, so I really like that. <laughs> but um, no, those both were really powerful docs, so I like those a lot. I think when we were talking about this earlier, like having context for people, we were using the example of Chris Russell, and we were mm-hmm. talking about how. A former writer at Oilers Nation decides he hates Chris Russell and pumps a shitload of I hate Chris Russell and here's the math behind it why. If there's no counter argument to that, people make up their own narrative. If there was a documentary about Chris Russell where it shows his grandma and his grandma's like, one time Christopher took a shot to the face and his eye popped out, but he popped it back in and went and scored the winning goal. People would be like, oh, Chris Russell isn't so bad. But if you don't have that content... There's no counterpoint to that, right? And I think that a lot of these guys, they have such interesting life stories, but it's all kept behind a wall. It's all kept behind a guard, right? Do you think you could have saved Jeff Petrie? Well, I don't know. That bastard had it coming. <laughs> well, did he? He was the original Tom Pody. I don't know. And that's a valid point, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, it's an interesting study about Oilers fans and, like, why do they turn on people and why do they turn on players and railroad them out of town? Number one, it's because they're so invested in the team. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's been grim around these parts for a mm-hmm. better part of a long-ass time now. So I, mean, I don't yeah. think people are railroading Jeff Petrie out of town if the Oilers are good. Yeah. I think they're just looking for something to hang their hat on and be like, it's that guy's fault because the team, and you remember this, they were never coming out with any cohesive plan or anything like that, mm-hmm. right? And so in the absence of that, when people are that wired in, they're going to go negative. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's exactly right. You know, like it's, it's both our greatest asset and one of our greatest curses as a fan base is that we're so passionate. When times are good, there's no place better in, in the league. But when times are bad, the, the knives come out, right? And it's it, yeah, it can't be easy to be a player here in those I, dark years. I think that although we have I, the argument that the Oilers are the best fans in the league, I don't know about that, but they're very good fans. Well, but What I, makes a good fan? Well, and That's a whole other thing, right? What does make a good fan? How emotionally invested are you? I sold my TV to go to game six of the 06 Cup run because I wanted to watch that, not my TV, right? I would consider myself to be a good Oilers fan because I do shit like that, right? Yeah. Jay just went to Russia and met Yari Curry and took a photo, and you can tell by the size of his eyes he's a very good <laughs> Oilers fan in that photo because meeting Yari Curry is very interesting. Now, not everybody has the opportunity to do those things. Yeah. But, like, you hear about the people who are like, I drive in from Saskatchewan right. and go to every game for 40 years when, for a lot of the time, the biggest cheer of the night was for the SO animated car on the scoreboard. Right. Those are great Oilers fans. Yeah. yeah. Right? They're not consuming t- the content yeah. the team is putting out. They live in 
die with that. Yeah, and that's unwavering passion. But like, what also, in my opinion, makes a good fan base is knowledgeable fans, right? Like people who can deconstruct actual like plays on the ice and understand what's going on, understand the context of a season, understand that like a guy had like a terrible year last year because his father passed away and and he had an injury and and maybe it was just a rough you know three hundred sixty five days for him and and let's hold out hope for this year. But that gets back to context, right? Mm-hmm. If that information isn't being widely shared, I'll give you an example: Milan Lucic's father. Mm-hmm passing away Mm -hmm. right that's a horrible thing to happen to anybody it's never brought up in the narrative Mm -hmm. and yet zach cassian being a former alcoholic is going to be brought up in every single interview that guy has until the end of time they just love to beat that over his head you because the walls around the players and the teams are so high Mm -hmm. you don't get to see these guys as human beings yeah but there's a difference there that's a redemption story that can inspire and give people hope whereas like your father passing away is just kind of like that's just a downer yeah, but then do you maybe go like, well, maybe that explains why Milan Lucic is in the mood that he's in. If my dad passed away, I'd probably be pretty pissed off too. Yeah. I don't know. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. I think humanizing people and giving them like a bit of a longer leash, like you're talking about and saying mm-hmm. like, maybe things will be better last year, mm-hmm. except for Jeff Petrie, who really had a fucking coming. No, he didn't. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that there's a certain level of like, if they're in the absence of good storylines, people are going to cling to negativity. Yeah. Yeah, so pump them with good stuff, right? Give them stuff to be hopeful for. Well, both have a conversation, but I want to go back to, you don't know if you think Oilers fans are good fans. I think we're fucking unreal fans. We are unreal fans, but we make it difficult for people to be Oilers. But I think that just goes back to being knowledgeable. And it goes back to being knowledgeable. Also, it goes back to being constantly kicked in the dick year after year after year after year. Buddy, I'm on the Oilers side fan. No kidding. But I'm just saying, like, but when you're you're Jeff Petrie and you go to the store and people are like, fuck you, you don't penalty kill properly. Like that. that, Connor getting lipped off outside of Joey's. That's, That's not helpful. That's, that's insane. That's not helpful. I'm ashamed to be an Emin, like, to call that guy an Emintonian. For how he fucking and players talk right and when shit like that happens and you know that if you go to edmonton and you play there and you go to the 7-eleven people are going to lip you off while you're getting a gatorade yeah but yeah yeah Yeah, how often does that actually happen yeah Yeah, how often is it that and how often is it like holy fuck we fucking love you yeah Mm, i think it's more than you'd think i think that when the oilers are having a bad season i think a lot of them cop a lot of shit i'll give you an example a friend of mine he's uh coaching a team and there's an oilers kids on it Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of the season, you'd never see. I think them. everyone knows who you're we talking about. about what players he's coaching? Why? We've talked to, talked Chalmers about Chalmers coaching Mike Smith's oh, kids. Literally oh, yeah. listen to yeah. this walking oh, down right. the hill to come here today. Oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I didn't remember that you said the name. Sorry, Jesus, fuck your M. Chuck. What are you, the goddamn well, Supreme Court? Just, Anyways, he says that from the beginning of the season, his wife wouldn't talk to any of the kids in the team or the players, right. and she was very reserved because yeah. she didn't know how she was going to be, you know, handled by people. And now that they're good, she's a lot more relaxed, right? That's very unique that your husband could have a job where you feel like you can't go talk to the other kids in your sports team. Mm-hmm. That's hard. That's a city that's hard to play in. Sometimes. Yeah, and that, that's just, I think that's just like, that's probably every Canadian market, maybe outside of Vancouver. I don't know if Vancouver's intense as yeah. it is here, but like, no, definitely not. If, if, you're, if you're in Winnipeg or Toronto, you're going to have that same kind of attention for sure. No question. But this is why people would rather, like, Luongo would rather go to Florida where no one gives a flying fuck what he does and he just waves going down the street to his neighbors. There's a lot of players who don't want the pressure of playing in a market where people live and die with it. Yeah, team. no state income tax helps in that decision too, though. Yes, oh, sure. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you have to live in Florida. There's like a 50-50 chance someone at the local Starbucks is going to have an alligator and a shotgun <laughs> while they're waiting. Like, Florida would be a wild-ass place to live. No thanks. 
Yeah, but does the good outweigh the bad, I suppose, right? Like, does, does the times you get the admiration from the fans outweigh the, like, odd time? Like, I mean, Connor got it. Like, how many guys actually get it, do you think? I, yeah, see, and I, I think I'm kind of on your side with this. I, I honestly wonder how many, like, there's keyboard warriors on Twitter yeah. or who will sit in the stands and be like, fuck, Horikoff's fucking terrible. But I'd actually wonder how many of them have the balls to, like, when they see the guy in public, actually walk up and be like, Hey, man, I genuinely think you're dog shit. Go fuck yourself. It's usually alcohol is involved in that situation. Yeah. And if you're a player out at 1 a.m., like you're, you know, you're putting yourself in that position yeah. to get chirped. As you are as, as an, an anonymous individual being at the bar and like bumping into someone, like you're putting yourself at risk being out in a place where there's a lot of drunk people. Yeah. Or maybe you're like, ah, so we were at the pint and somebody just brought over a tray of shooters and said, these are for you. And I was like, I will have all of them because that's how I like to get down at 1 a.m. Full throttle. And then if someone walked up to you and like, hey, you're Wanye. I fucking hate Oilers Nation. Well, then. Nobody does that because I made up a fake name and no one knows what I look like. Checkmate. By Earth. the way, I, I still smell like Jack Daniels. I just want to point We're that living out. good. <laughs> We're living good. We're 7 1 and 1. Where's your Jack right now? It's okay. <laughs> 7 1 and 1. Time to live a little bit. Um, we're, we're getting towards the end of our one hour here, and you know how much I like to keep things on track. But you just mentioned 7 1 and 1 for the Oilers. You're an Oilers fan. Um, I threw this question out to our social media. What would you say right now, and I, you'll both probably say 100%, but I'll ask the question anyways. What do you think is the percentage chance that the Oilers make the playoffs? I have it at 70. I have $400 on the fact that they're going to make the playoffs at 3.71. Thank you very much. Where'd you get 3.71? You, you know, you 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 gotta know you gotta know the worldwide books, man. This is a bet through an Australian gambling Does company. Does that mean you win 1,200 clams? Yeah, uh, 1,480. Australian dollars or Canadian? Aussie dollars, but you know that's that same converts. Yeah, it's about par, yeah. So what do you think is the percentage chance you are getting that money in your account? 100%. I've already spent it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I have a $40 uh, Stanley Cup 2019 bet from Vegas that I made posted to my wall in the office. 100% they're making the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not a mathematician, but I'm going to give it about 80% yeah. based on how they play. Now, the wheels can always fall off, injuries and things, but if things continue the way they're going... I think 80%. I think, like, last night was a good example of, uh, you know, the, 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 the shift or the change or the new era of the team. That game easily could have been 6 nothing Jets. Mm -hmm. But, you know, everyone just kind of bunkered in, even though, like, the Oilers were playing weird, but they just kind of just kept kind of staying in it and mm -hmm. putting pressure and, you know, trying to create opportunities. Like, that was a game last year that they would have just folded and just gave up in and lost 6 nothing. Yeah, and that's actually something I said earlier today. Um, the, in today's NHL, any team can win any game when they're playing good. The difference between the high-end teams and the general crap teams are the high-end teams find ways to win when it's not 100%, yeah. when they're not playing good, when they have an Adam Larson out with an injury, someone steps yeah. up. And that's, I think, what's most encouraging about this year's Oilers teams is yeah. there's been a lot of games this year where it's like, fuck, this is not going well. And seven times now, eight times if you include last night, we've gone, holy shit, they got a better result than we thought they were going to get. And that, that's what's really encouraging to me. But I still say 70%. I think outside of what? The <laughs> well, Rangers, game, Rangers game and the Islanders game were the really the two only games that you're like, okay, we're running over these guys. Every yeah. other game was virtually a come-from-behind win. And I remember being at that LA game where they had four four one-goal deficits and kept coming back. I'm like, this feels like 2016. Like, this does not feel like 2018 and 2019. This feels like 2016 because we're just chipping away. We just keep going. Sorry, I get so excited. And like <laughs> during, and then during that game, anytime they were down a goal, 
you knew and felt that they were going to come back. Exactly. Because of knew how it. they're playing. They're, it's just, it's completely different what we're witnessing. My plums. <laughs> <laughs> my plums. Oh, it's good times, man. I'm telling you, 7 1 and 1. We stole that point in Winnipeg. You know, that shootout was fucking whack, but whatever. Who cares? We got a point. The ice was bad. What, yeah. Is there <laughs> anything worse than a, a, a shootout loss, one nothing? Uh-huh. Like, nobody gets a point. Like, it's just such a it's, bullshit it game. It is sad. Yeah, right? it's like, gross. It's, like, and something's up with Connor. Like, last two games, he's, he's, had his quiet. Four, he's had his four shots. He seems to be, you know, screwing up the little things that he never used to screw up. And I don't know if it's, like, you know, still coming back. I don't know if it's just two random games, but... He's like, getting worked a lot too. They're playing him a lot. I don't know. I think I think it might just be two random games. I I, I don't like reading into things when because well, like any other player goes two games without a point, and you're like, ah, well, whatever. But, but you know Connor what doesn't. No, Connor doesn't. And the, yeah, he looked a little off mm-hmm. yesterday. I, the, but the whole team like like making terrible. Even Leon was a little off until he made that unreal. Oh, that pass, long just, bomb backhand pass. That was like, just trust me, you're gonna get it on your tape. Like it's not gonna look like it's coming to you, but it's coming. Like to if you. Connor scores that, that's like the like the play of the year. So yeah, that's definitely in the play of the year conversation. Well, and like how often is a pass in the play of the year conversation? That's how sick that oh. thing was. Oh god. But cuz well Connor did it last year when um Tricetto went basically like far blue line to far blue line and like across the ice, yeah. basically tape to tape. It's just This is why I don't I can't get on board with people shitting on the team right now. Like there was the year I convinced myself Eric Cole was going to score 50 goals and we were going to the dance, right? And like now I'm like people are shitting on the Oilers. I'm like, "Did you see that they had 200 point players last year? Like we're not convincing ourselves this is Cam Barker hockey that's going to be yeah. Norris shit. Yeah. This is like unbelievable hockey that's super exciting." Yeah. It's been fun. Um as as we wrap things up, Shane Fennessy, you're an Edmonton filmmaker, an Edmonton based filmmaker, I should say. Is that the right way to describe you? Whatever you want to call me, man, I'll be it. Oh cool. Okay. Yeah. Um anything Wayne you anything Gretzky's else? Bestie? <laughs> yeah, you have Wayne Gretzky's cell phone number. That's how I'll put uh, that's how I'll introduce you in the bio. Uh we'll tweet anything? that out, right? Yeah. You okay. do? As I remove my phone from the table so you don't kill me and use my face to open it. Okay. I already went on the deep dark web and have it. Um anything you got coming up that you want to promote that you want to plug and uh, well, making cocoa. I know we spent a lot of yeah. time on it, but it just came out on iTunes October fifteenth, so you can get it there. Um, we're gonna be doing a uh, Fear Jersey giveaway, announcing it in the near future. So make sure you follow us on all our social media, which is just at Making Cocoa, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, over a barrels out right now on YouTube and Facebook for free until October thirty first. Um, when does this come out? Immediately. Yeah. Immediately. Today. Go vote if you haven't voted already. <laughs> That's a oh, nice thing to it's, say. Yeah. It's gonna yeah. go up tomorrow. Okay, well, I hope oh, you're, you're, you're else you're dead to me. There was two guys in a goalie put out on the Nation Network of podcast today. <sighs> Those guys get everything. Maybe next year. Can we call this one the one where the guy hammered a hole through the wall in the podcast? Like, can we bring him is, in here? Can we say hi to him and just see, like, what are you building? The funny thing is, is that we were like, can you please hurry the fuck up and finish off the basement? And he was like, yes, sir. And then he kissed down. Like, but yeah, but not today, though. Yeah. Like, the, the, not that this podcast studio is active. It's just busy down here. Yeah. Right? And there's always going to be people down here doing shit. So whatever. It's bumping. But we really appreciate your yeah, time. This, this awesome. was yeah, thanks, fantastic. This has been great. I re- you guys are awesome. Like I said, at the start, I wasn't pumping your tires like i've genuinely been a huge oilers nation fan since 2011 when i moved to edmonton and and wasted a lot of company time reading your articles so it's it's been a blast you ready for this jay to close hopefully we do something together wink that would be amazing and i think people should keep their eyes open their eyes and their ears wink <laughs> throwing in a lot of winks at the end uh, big shout out to shane fantasy for joining us on today's podcast jay wanye i'm tyler rumchuk episode 144 of nation real life is over 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.